0: we are continuing this message that we started, uh, what was it, two, three weeks ago on the subject of weakness in strength, weakness in strength. And this is a series that comes from something that I've observed over many years uh, pastoring. And that is when people approach the Bible, they tend to immediately put a block uh, in between them and the pages of the scripture. And I see we're live. Hi, everyone on Facebook. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. And those of you who will see it a little later, we welcome you as well. Um, They put a a veneer, uh, kind of a block between them and the Bible right away and they approach it that way. They think, well, this person in the Bible, I can't be like them, and this person in the Bible, they're you know, almost mythological, the way that we portray some of these people. And what we fail to realize and fail to look at is that they're human just like we are. I love, the, I love this, the phrase from the book of James that talks about Elijah, the old prophet from, from you know, the eighth century BC. And it says, Elijah was a man just, like us, and this is true. The, the the people in the pages of scripture were human just like you and me, and they have their frailties and their weaknesses and sometimes even their sins, and it helps to acknowledge that and to look at that and see, well, how did God use these people in spite of themselves, and how can God use me sometimes in spite of myself as well? So today we're going to look at a kind of an obscure uh, a person from the scripture, although he's listed in the famous Uh, what they call the Hall of Faith chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. You know that passage in the New Testament lists all these great Bible personages and all of their feats and all of their accomplishments. And he gets an accolade uh, in that chapter, but he's not often taught on or preached on. uh, And his name is Gideon, Gideon, okay? And uh, I'm going to call this the identity crisis of Gideon of Gideon. So question for you to ask yourselves this morning, and your answer to this question is very uh, crucial because it will tell you a lot about yourself. So I want you to ask yourself this question kind of subconsciously during the message, who am I? Who am I? Just ask yourself that question and see the answers that start coming up into your mind. You might say, well, I'm uh, man, or I'm a woman, or I'm a husband, or I'm a wife, or I'm a father, or I'm a mother, or I'm a, and you name your profession. We have people with all kinds of varied professions in this in this room today. I was talking with, with somebody before the service and talking about uh, her husband's profession and what he does. And all of us have all these things that we do. And sometimes we say, well, I'm a doctor, or I'm a, I'm an engineer, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a real estate agent, or I'm a home a building inspector, or I am I work in a bank, I'm a banker, or I'm, okay, that may be your answer. Uh, or maybe you may say, well, I'm i uh and you identify with your ethnicity and your background, the color of your skin. So I'm this color, or I'm this ethnicity, and you may say that as an answer. Uh, I, I would challenge you that your answer to this question will tell you the little narrative that's always playing in the back of your head. And that narrative is very, very powerful. And sometimes it totally contradicts what God actually calls you to do and what God and who God actually says that you are. So who am I? Ask yourself the question. So from Judges chapter 6... Uh, verses 11 to 16, and then way over in the New Testament, John chapter 1, verses 12 uh, to 13. Let me read to you from uh, the book of Judges. This is the call of Gideon the judge. I'll give you some background in a minute, okay? So, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah or Ophrah, not the Oprah Winfrey show, but if you want, you can remember Gideon was called at Oprah. So if that helps you to remember Gideon, just think of Oprah Winfrey, you're not sinning, okay? So under the, under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite. Oh, I hear myself coming through. Okay, the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, or in some translations, Pardon me? Imagine saying that to the angel of the Lord when the angel of the Lord speaks to you, But, sir, Pardon me? If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian." And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Next response from Gideon Pardon me, <laughs> but Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And then in John chapter 1 uh, and verse, uh, verse 12, uh, I can almost do it from memory, but I'll turn there. Uh, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent. Remember that. In in some translations, it talks about the flesh or bloods or the will of man. Not born by natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The crisis of identity with Gideon. Before we go any further, I just need someone to check. To make sure we have volume coming through there. Yeah, okay. I want to make sure for the friends on Facebook at home because I heard something funny there, but it's working okay. We have uh, volume on the on the screen there? Perfect, thank you. Okay, so the Judge Gideon. You may never have heard of a Gideon before. <laughs> or maybe you know somebody named Gideon. Well, this is where his name comes from. So you need to go zap way back in time even further back than we went last week. So last week we were talking about Elijah. You remember I put maps on the screen. We're talking about eighth century BC and all this stuff that Elijah was involved in and how he was ministering then. Well, you need to go back even further when you talk about the judge Gideon and he ministered during the 11th century BC. That's old, 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 old. So you have the Exodus. Do you remember when Moses brought the people out of Egypt? Any have you ever seen the movie, Ten Commandments? Or for kids, Prince of Egypt, right? The whole story of, of Moses bringing the children of, e, uh, of Israel out of bondage. So you have Moses, that's even older than what we're looking at, okay? And then he brought the people, or actually his successor, Joshua, brought the people into the land of Canaan, the land of promise, the land of Flowing with milk and honey, and they, there was a conquest that was supposed to take place in Canaan. It wasn't that successful, so Joshua and everybody under him was instructed to go in there and very specifically told to take over. And I will pause there because people have a lot of trouble with this stuff these days, uh, especially young people. They look at some of these things in the Old Testament and they say, "How can God?" tell people to go and take over other people's land and go and wipe everybody out and you know these wars and all these things how can god who's supposed to be a god of love do that i don't understand excellent question short answer context 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 you're not talking about 21st century western world you are talking about the ancient middle east in you know 12 1300 years before Jesus was even born. You have people settling into land and they settled into land in a violent fashion. So they would take out anybody who they wanted to take out in order to survive. Israel had many, many enemies who wanted to wipe them out. And the whole context of all of these things that you see in the Old Testament or or many of them, is that God is defending these people. He makes a covenant with these people. And he basically says, you are going to last, you are going to survive. You are going to drive the, the Canaanites out. This is your land. I'm giving it to you, and I will demonstrate my power through my faithfulness to you. You will not be wiped out, says the Lord kind of thing. That's the broader context. So back then, you were either wiped out or you wiped out somebody else. It doesn't necessarily mean that God condoned it. It meant that's what happened, okay? So that's the, that's the short answer. There's, there's a much broader answer than that but that would take a whole sermon or two or perhaps even a book. This is a very, very difficult subject to try and bridge quickly, but just get into the context of that world. It is not this world. It is a totally different context Not North America, not the 21st century. All right? So so you have the the, the conquest of the Canaanites, which is supposed to happen properly under Joshua. And to a large degree, the Israelites were not successful in doing what God had told them. And you see in Judges chapter 2, again, to give you some context here. Um, uh, picking it up at verse 10, for example. This is after Joshua died. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, which means passed away, another generation grew up who, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil. They're in the promised land. They're in the land of Canaan, and yet they're doing evil. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. We met them, uh, or the God Baal, a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And they forsook the Lord and uh, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed And worshipped various gods uh, of the people around them. And they provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him. And they served Baal and the Ashtoreth. So very bad situation. You've got a whole generation that rises up after the generation of Joshua. And they completely forsake God. And start worshipping all of the gods of the land that they just took possession of. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders, who plundered them. And he sold them to their enemies all around uh, whom they were no longer able to resist. So the punishment of God for Israel's idolatry at that time was to let them be conquered and oppressed and persecuted by all of these people around them, and he would not protect them. That was the justice of God against Israel at the time. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them. Just as he had sworn to them, they were in great distress. Bad time dark time. You say, didn't we deal with a dark time last week in the 8th century BC? Yup, this is even worse in the 11th century BC. Then the Lord raised up judges. And there are 12 of them in the book of Judges. Gideon is one of them who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges and prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. Unlike their fathers, they quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked and the way of obedience and whenever the Lord raised up a judge who saved them, they would turn and they'd go right back to their sin say, wow, what a terrible situation. Yup, that's, that's exactly the way it was. And this is where Gideon, he's one of these judges who steps into the scene to rescue uh, Israel from the Midianites. They were their arch enemy at the time. And the Midianites were told in the book of Judges, Judges chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, they oppressed the Israelites for a period of seven years. And it was a very, very bad scene. Uh, We pick it up in chapter six, verse one. For seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites because of the the power of Midian was so oppressive. Uh, The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and in caves to, to hide from these Midianites who would oppress them and raid their land and take their livestock. They would destroy everything that they had. Whenever the Israelites planted crops were told the Midianites and the Amalekites and the other Eastern peoples, they invaded the country. They uh, they camped in the land. They ruined all the crops that were planted, and they took their animals, everything. And the Bible says that they came up in such masses that they were like a swarm of locusts compared to the Israelites. So they're outnumbered. It was impossible to count the men. In. They invaded the land to ravage the land, and we're told, verse eight, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help hence the call of Gideon. So Gideon, again, as we read, he is over at, in, uh, in Oprah. Well, I'll show you where that is in a couple of moments. And he is the son of someone by the name of Joash, who is an Abiezrite. And the Abiezrites were a clan under the tribe of Manasseh. So one of the 12 tribes of Judah, they were part of Manasseh, and they were a very weak, uh, or viewed as a very, very weak um, a clan within that tribe. And so Gideon kind of minding his own business, what he's doing is he's threshing wheat, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it hidden from the Midianites. So to thresh wheat, they'd have to get the chaff off of the wheat. And they would normally do this in a threshing floor. Sometimes they would beat the, beat the wheat or in, in other times they would use animals to d- kind of drive... Uh, and, and, and pull the wheat through, and, and the chaff would eventually fall off. Sometimes they would flap it in the wind, like in the book of Ruth, and the chaff would fall off. Well, here, this guy, he's doing this, but he's doing it in a wine press, and he's doing that to hide it from the Midianites. He does not want them to see it because they're going to take his wheat. And the wine press, they would press the, the wine with their feet, Uh, And they would press those grapes and they would go down into a smaller trough. And here he is, you know, trying to hide the fact that he's got some wheat, probably a small amount of wheat. And the angel of the Lord, and the Lord there is Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. We call this in theology a theophany. This is an appearance of God in some form to a person. Some would argue that this is Jesus before he was born in the manger, appearing to Gideon. And he calls Gideon to do a job. And I want you to look again at the things that God said and the things that Gideon said. So God says to him right off the bat, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, imagine if God said that to you. Imagine if God appeared to you in some kind of bodily form and said to you, the Lord God, like the Lord God is with you. And he called you a mighty warrior. I mean, how would you feel? You'd probably feel, well, I mean, wow, that's that's a very encouraging thing. If God himself appeared to you and said that, he says to him, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And the response of Gideon is almost funny. Pardon me? But sir, I mean, right away, he cannot, he does not see that at all. And he starts asking this angel of the Lord in front of him, he starts asking questions. And he says things like, well, if the Lord is with us, and remember, God said, the Lord is with you, Gideon. But Gideon is identifying with, with the, the people of Israel. And he says, But why has this happened to us? Why have these Midianites oppressed us for seven years? Like I can't even, I can't even get the chaff off of my wheat publicly because they're gonna steal it. I have to do it in this wine press. If the Lord is with us, at least he's showing some leadership ability there. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And sometimes we do the exact same thing and we, we ask God exactly the same question. If Jesus is with me, then why has all this stuff, whatever it is, happened to me? Then he goes deeper and he says, Where are his wonders? I mean, is this not the God who took us out of Egypt? So where are his wonders? Where is his deliverance? Where are the miracles that we need to see at this time? The Lord, who's right in front of him, in the flesh, there's there's an angelic being that he sees in front of him, and he says, the Lord has abandoned us. Do you relate to that? We say very often similar things, and this has to do with a crisis of identity. God is saying to this man, this is who you are. I want you to know the Lord is with you, and you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon, he doesn't see that at all, at all, at all. And then God continues And he says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What does he say? Pardon me? (laughs) But sir, again, he, he he does not see this at all. He says, how can I save Israel? My clan and that's the clan of Abiezer, which was a minor clan in the tribe of Manasseh. My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. And what does God say? I will be with you. Do you see how the two things don't really line up? So Gideon's narrative about himself The things that he thinks about himself and the things that he thinks about this whole situation is not, it does not match what God is calling him to do. God is saying that he is with him. God is saying to him, you're going to do this thing. God is saying to him, you are a mighty warrior. He says, I'm no mighty warrior. I'm the least in my clan. My clan's the least of all the clans in Manasseh. I mean, you've abandoned us, you've forsaken us, you've oppressed us for seven years by these Midianites. Where are your miracles? I mean, incredibly, the, the difference between what God is saying and what he's believing about himself. This is a crisis of identity, and the same thing happens to us all the time. Let me give you three ways you see them a little bit in Gideon's life. Your ethnicity is not your identity. It isn't. So him, he says, well, you know, I come from, I come from the, tri- the clan of Abiezer. I'm an Abiezerite. Like, I'm nobody, and I'm the least in, in, my, in my household. Uh, and he's looking at where he comes from. He's looking at his eth- ethnicity, and that's what he identifies with. That's not what God identifies with. Listen, there's a lot of people who... who carry in some ways a chip on their shoulder, identifying with their ethnicity all the time. And it's true, your ethnicity doesn't change, but if that's what you base your identity on solely, you're going to be very, very frustrated in life. God God wants you to know that you're more than you know, I'm white or I'm African-American or African-Canadian or I'm Chinese or I'm Asian or I'm Filipino or I'm from this country in Africa or I'm from this country in Africa. And that's who I am. And that's who I am. And that's who I am. What God says you are is even greater than your ethnicity. But when you just base yourself on that, I'm telling you, you're going to be really, really frustrated. Circumstance that you're in, that's not who you are. That's not your identity. But Gideon, he's identifying with that. He's saying, I can't be any mighty warrior. The Lord can't be with me. He can't be with us because look at the circumstances that we're in. Duh. And we do this all the time. If the circumstance is good, yes, sir, the Lord is with me. I'm a child of God. Oh, I know who I am. I know who I am. I could sing that, you know, that, that groovy song. Yes, yes, yes. Everything is going really well. But when things don't go so well, does that mean you're no longer a child of God? Does that mean you're no longer in Christ because your circumstances are bad for sometimes reasons that you can't even control? Wow. If your identity is based in your circumstance, you're going to be very, very frustrated in life because this life isn't always pretty and pleasant, is it? There are things that happen to you for no fault of your own, many, many times totally out of your control. But if who you are is based on those things and those things alone, you're going to be very, very frustrated in life and you'll be just like Gideon. God's not here. God has left. God has forsaken me. God's not real. All these different questions are going to come into your mind because again, your circumstances, not your identity, and man's point of view, or in the Gospel of John, uh, the will of man or the will of the flesh. W- what people say about you is not your identity. I think it was Walt Disney, well, was it Walt Disney? Maybe some of you know, and, and uh, he was told by a high school teacher, you'll never amount to anything. You're not, you're not creative at all. <laughs> Well, I, I, I would beg to differ. Perhaps that teacher was wrong. You know that sometimes people say things about you, and there's a kind of a there's a word on the street by people about you, and they say this, and they say this, and they say that, and it's the point of view of man. Is that the point of view of God? Is that who you should be basing your identity on? What people say about you. I mean, I've had people say all kinds of sometimes funny and not so funny things about me. If I base my identity on all of those things, I mean, I'd probably be in a mental hospital or something. I mean, you can't live your life that way. You have to have a solid grounding. Who am I? That can't be answered by circumstance. That can't be answered by purely eth- ethnicity. That can't be answered by what people say about you. Oh, well, I'm the least in my clan. I'm the least in my family. Look where I come from. Look at my ethnicity. Look at this terrible circumstance. That's who I am. Well, God says, "No, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior." Wow. I mean, you talk about you talk about a, a a clash of views. So then you 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 read through the next couple of chapters and I won't I won't obviously do that this morning, but I would challenge you to do it and to see what Gideon goes through after this call that he gets. Uh, to deliver Israel out of Midianite bondage. And what he does, first of all, is he wants to somehow prove that it's God who's talking to him. And so he sets up this, this sacrifice of sorts, got a lot of flour in it, got some meat in it and some broth and he sets it up and he's, he takes him time to prepare it. So he tells the angel of the Lord, he says, don't leave. I'm going to go prepare the offering and come back. I need to know that it's you. So he brings it. And of course the angel of the Lord touches the thing and the fire, and there's this supernatural thing, supernatural sign. And so Gideon, he starts to panic and he thinks he's going to die because he was taught that if you see God face to face, you're going to lose your life. And the angel says, don't worry, you're you're not going to die. And then the angel uh, tells him, I want you to do something else. I want you to go home, and I want you to go into your your father's area, and I want you to prepare another sacrifice, uh, another altar, um, and I want you though to use the Asherah pole that, that's there, and I want you to cut it down. And so he's basically saying, you're gonna take those gods that are basically in your home, and you're gonna chop them down, and now you're gonna use them to worship me. And this is going to get him into, into big, big trouble. And so he's afraid to do this, and so he takes 10 of his men, and he, he does what God tells him to do down in verse 27, chapter 6. But he does so in fear of his family and of the people in the town. Remember, they've forsaken Yahweh. They're, they're worshiping Baal. They're worshiping Ashtoreth. They're worshiping all this stuff, Asherah. And so if he cuts down those idols and those altars, it's not going to go well for him. So he decides to be obedient to God. He does it at night. And he cuts down the, the, the Asherah pole. And then they find out in the morning. And they say, who did this? And the, the, so they investigate. And they say, ah, ah, ah. it was Gideon, son of Joash. He did it. And so they demand. They say, bring out your son. They tell his father, Joash. And he, he, we're going to take his life. He must die because he broke down Baal's altar. And he cut down the Asherah pole, that's verse 30, chapter 6. And Joash replies, the father stands up a little bit for his son, and he says, you know, are you trying to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? And he makes a bit of a bold stand, and he says, whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. Basically, he's saying, if you go and you do this thing, I'm going to come against you, and, and you will be dead by morning. If Baal is a god... Let him defend himself. And so from that day, they change Gideon's name or they add a name to him and they call him Yerub Baal, which means let Baal contend with him. Let Baal fight with him, all right? And so the, the, then the Midianites and the Amalekites, they're getting ready to attack once again and to raid the land. And the spirit of God comes upon Gideon and he starts to rally people from different places in Israel. He starts to put them all together. And, uh, and then he, he eventually organizes this battle, which we'll get into in just a few moments as we close. But three things that, that he goes through in this whole process. Number one, and don't miss it, it goes by very fast. You want to learn who you are. If you want to base it not on your circumstance or your ethnicity or what people say about you or what your job is, I mean, that is probably the silliest thing that you can do. I'm a so-and-so job. Well, what happens if you lose your job? You lose your identity? I mean, even your, your relationships, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I'm a father, I'm a... Well, what happens if, if and or when you lose that person? Does that change who you are? Has your identity somehow changed? No, your identity has to go beyond that relationship. It's good to identify with that on the surface, but your identity has to go beyond that. It has to be rooted in something eternal. And that one who is eternal is Christ himself. Clarify your worship. So do you really worship God? Do you really want to know who you are in Christ? Clarify your worship. Get the Baals out of your life. Get the Asherahs out of your life. Like take those things, cut them up and turn them into something that can be used for God's purpose. And this is what he does to Gideon. He says, you know, you need to clean up your house. You're not not clearly worshiping me. You've got all these other gods that you've adopted. It's all a mishmash in your home. You need to clarify who is the person that you worship. When you do that and your worship is to the Lord only, not to materialism, not to some relationship that you're in, but your worship is truly to God and God only, you're a step closer to understanding your identity in Christ. Remember also, God is patient. You will see, and Gideon is famous for this, he sets up this system all the time. He's trying to set up systems to prove that it is God who is calling him and God who is speaking to him. And he's famous for the fleece. And he sets up two fleeces when he's finally told, you're going to go in and you're going to take out the Midianites. He says, well, I need, he starts to rally an army and he says, well, God, if you're going to do this thing and if you're going to save, I'm going to take a, a, a wool fleece, and I'm going to put it on the threshing floor. That was the place where they were supposed to thresh wheat. And I'm going to wait through the evening. And if there's dew only on the fleece, but not the rest of the floor, then I'll know it's you. I mean, that that would take a miracle, right? So sure enough, the next morning, he goes and he finds the fleece, and he can rinse the water out of the fleece as if God couldn't make it more clear to him. But the rest of the floor is dry. You would think that would be enough for Gideon, but Gideon, close of chapter 6, he says, don't be angry with me, but I just have one more request. Allow me one more time to test the fleece. Please, 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 just one more time. This time, make the fleece dry, but the rest of the ground wet. Good grief. I mean, you'd think at that point, God would say, you know, enough of you, Gideon. I need to find somebody else because you're just... Like, you just cannot do this thing. No, nope. God says, no problem. And he, he accommodates and, the, you know, the, the night passes and the morning comes and Gideon looks and the fleece is bone dry, but the rest of the ground is wet. And so Gideon, he says, okay, this surely is God. And so he, he gathers an army of 32,000 people to defeat the Midianites. And we're told later on that the Midianite army is 135,000 strong. Gideon at that time, beginning of chapter 7, he's got 32,000 men. But God says to him, it's too many men. You have too many men, and if you, if you win this thing, the people are going to say that it was them who did it. You have too many men, they're going to boast if they win, and they're going to say it's our strength that saved Israel. And so God says, Gideon, you're going to prune your army of 32,000, and you're going to shrink it down. Really strange. As I told you before, the math of, of God is very, very counter intuitive. It's, it's in many ways opposite. And so he tells him, he says, go and tell the people if they're scared, go home. And two thirds of his army leaves. (laughs) Two out of three says, we're going home. So that that dealt with some of the army, but then he puts a really bizarre uh, test to Gideon. He says, the rest of these men, you still have too many men, you're going to go and you're going to take them down to a little lake and you're going to see how they drink the water. The ones who drink the water like this and who bring it up to their mouths like this, and he says, who lap like a dog, those are the ones that I want in the army." The other ones who bend over and drink, I, I don't want them. I want the ones who lap it almost like a dog would lap water. Those are the ones I want, the dog lappers. So, and I want 300. That's all I want. Remember, the army of the Midianites is 135,000 people. And God whittles down Gideon's army to 300 uh, it's bad odds, really bad odds. Do you know what happens when you live your life with bad, with bad odds? You start to learn who you are. You clarify your worship. You remember that God is patient with you and bad odds means more trust in God. And this is what he wanted with Gideon in order to learn who he was as a leader. He pushed him right to the edge 300 people, you're going to go and you're going to take out the Midianites. And by the way, in case you're afraid, here's the way I want you to do it. I want you to go and I want you to to spy on them before you attack them and listen to their conversation. And so uh, Gideon does the thing and he hears that there's this dream that that, uh, uh, a Midianite had. And he's explaining the dream to his fellow Midianite and and it's interpreted while Gideon is listening to the conversation. And the interpretation is that Gideon will go and he will, he will conquer the Midianites. And when Gideon overhears this conversation, it gives him tremendous courage. And he says, God has given them into our hands. Here's what I want you to do. And I put a little map on the screen, a little picture of Gideon, the best one I could find. Uh, so Gideon, uh, he's called, where is he called? You see where the little number four is there up in the tribe of Issachar? Do you see that? So that's where Gideon and the Oprah, Oprah, Winfrey episode, all right? Right there at number four. Now he's actually from the tribe of West Manasseh. He's an Abiez, right? So he's from West Manasseh, which is just south, okay? And so he gathers up all these different tribes. He gathers, you know, Ephraim and Asher and Gad and all of these people. And you can see, you can see the Sea of Galilee up there. That's where Jesus did ministry. You can see the Dead Sea over here. You can see Jerusalem, just to orient where you are. And so God says to Gideon, And Gideon says to the people, we're going to get in groups of a hundred, and here's what I want you to do. And they do it at nightfall, and they do it at the changing of a a guard and so on when the Midianites are off guard, uh, so to speak. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take torches and put the torches in empty jars. And I want you to take a trumpet in the other hand and this is what we're going to do. At the right time, you're going to blow your trumpet, you're going to smash your jars, you're going to blow the trumpet, and you're going to say, for the Lord and for Gideon. That's what I want you to do. And so Gideon has got three groups of a hundred. They get stationed, 135,000 Midianites, You got 300 men against 135,000. And he does exactly what what he says, and he gets them all in position, and they blow the horn, and they say this crazy thing, and they pull out their their torch and smash their jars. And lo and behold, it throws the Midianites into a panic. It's a psychological kind of trick that they pulled on the Midianites to make them think that they were a great army when they were. And we're told in the narrative here that God actually causes these Midianites to take out each other because they're in such a panic by this tactic that Gideon used. And you see, as you continue reading into chapter seven deeper into chapter eight deeper, that they they take all of these Midianites out, all 135,000 of them, including the leaders of their army, including their kings. Everyone from an army of 300, it's, it's a shocking, shocking story. What does it teach us? Again, you've got you've to put the thing into context when you talk about all these wars, but you have to understand if you are going to, to experience joy in life, if you're going to be successful, and I'm not talking about financial success or something, I'm talking about success of the soul you have to learn who you are. And if who you are is not a child of God centered and rooted and grounded in Christ, then then who you are is on a different subject. It's on what you do. It's on a particular relationship. It's on your intelligence. It's on your abilities. It's on your financial portfolio. It's on your materialistic things. It's based on something that is ultimately going to leave you frustrated. There is one way and one way alone to clarify your identity, and that is to be a child of God. So what is your answer to the question, who am I"? I.